Hello and welcome to the first episode of Units of World War II. I'm Christopher Hahn, the host, and this podcast will basically be about the, the different units uh, that served during World War II, both on the Allied and the Axis side of the war. Um, just about everywhere across the war, across the different theaters of operation, I just want to share the knowledge that I have while also learning about the different units um, that were in World War II. A unit is the collection of soldiers or like, so like a division, a regiment, um, squad, things like that. Um, And so for this episode, we will take a look at, or we will start to take a look at the 4th Infantry Division. Places where I pulled uh, the information from that I have are actually from a transcript um, from a veteran named Ivan Schwartz and an audiobook by George Wilson titled If You Survive. I highly recommend listening to that one. That was a very good story to listen to. Um, And then also I have a copy of a older history book that's actually written very close to the end of the Second World War. And it's very specifically about the 4th Infantry Division. And it has basically every name of everybody who served in that division in that book. Uh, has lots of very cool photographs from the time as well. Um, so yeah, we will get started. Um, let's just, and in order to get started, we will kind of take a step back to the formation of the 4th Infantry Division uh, back in World War One. So the 4th Infantry Division was created on December 3rd, 1917 at Camp Green, North Carolina. It consisted of regular army units, volunteers, and selective servicemen. In May 1918, they arrived in France ready for combat, and in total, they met and defeated 16 German divisions. They fought at the Second Battle of the Marne, at Sergier, the Vassile, I'm definitely going to butcher some of these French names, saint Mihiel. Because of its Roman numeral designation, IV, they began to be called the IV Division. And IV also became the division shoulder patch with the adoption of the word steadfast and loyal as the division motto. This is also the the traditional significance of an IV. And after World War I in July 1919, the division sailed home. And on September 21st, 1921, the division was inactivated. And so with war brewing in Europe again, it became necessary to increase the armed forces of the U.S. At the beginning of the Second World War, the U.S. had one of the smallest armies uh, in the entire world. Um, they were basically just kind of, after World War I, the U.S. was just sick of war. They didn't want anything to do with any other war that could possibly pop up. At the beginning of World War II, they kind of just funneled money and weapons to uh, Great Britain um, and Russia but they didn't want to have they didn't want anything to do with the war. So their armed forces were incredibly small. They still had the old World War One equipment with the the famous World War One helmet you can kind of picture in your head, uh, the bolt action Springfield rifles, uh, things like that. And so the fourth division was reactivated on June first, nineteen forty, at Fort Brenning, Georgia. Uh, the react. The reactivated division was first comprised of the 8th, 22nd, and 29th Infantry Regiments, 20th, 29th, 42nd, and 44th Field Artillery Battalions, the 4th Engineer Battalion, 4th Medical Battalion, 4th Quartermaster Battalion, 
4th Signal Company, 4th Reconnaissance Troop, and the 4th Headquarters and Military Police. And Ivan Schwartz actually described this fort as being bedbug infested. He was a waiter, uh, kind of like a cleaning staff for the officers and mess, and he got out of a lot of training this way. He would stay a part of the staff all the way until one week before D-Day. Obviously, the units that they had were below strength in terms of numbers and training. Um, so it was the rearmament of the 4th Infantry Division was very slow to start. In August of 1940, the division was selected to be an experimental unit for development of maneuvers similar to the German Blitz in Belgium and France. Uh, so the Blitz is basically just very fast movement um, into enemy territory using aircraft, tanks, infantry. Uh, the Germans use this on the border of France, and that's why they were able to capture France so easily. Um, they basically just rolled over everything that was in their way with tanks. Uh, they had a massive air force, too, to take care of a lot of ground units, and then, of course, the infantry. And so the fourth ID was selected to, to try out maneuvers similar to the German Blitz. And it gave them the designation of 4th Division Motorized which was then changed to 4th Motorized Division in 1941. Sounds like a small change. Um, these small name changes and technical changes like that happen quite often. And so the maneuvers on um, trying to teach the 4th Infantry Division to do blitz tactics basically turned into a three-year-long experiment. One such practice, the Louisiana Maneuvers of 1941, saw the division using trucks that were borrowed or used from salvage dumps as there weren't enough armored half-tracks. So this goes back to what I was saying before about how the U.S. just didn't have anything in their army. Um, so they were just borrowing trucks for these maneuvers. Over time, the strength came back to full and equipment was plentiful. In the fall of 1941, the 12th Infantry Regiment replaced the 29th Infantry and the 4th Division. In December of 1941, the division moved to a new camp, uh, Camp Gordon, Georgia. Gordon and Augusta became home for them for more than two years. In July 1942, the, the division was withdrawn suddenly from the Carolina maneuvers, returned to Gordon, and alerted for overseas movement. This would be the first of many false alarms to come. So at that time, 1942, um, obviously the U.S. was pretty involved in the Pacific at that time mostly involved in the Pacific. They were still getting units ready for operations in Europe and more specifically North Africa. Uh, so Operation Torch, that's the invasion of North Africa, that would come in the fall of 1942. So the U.S. isn't really quite involved on the European side yet. And although landings were made in Africa in November of 1942, the 4th still remained stateside on assault training through Boggy Gut, Georgia. Like I said, that would be Operation Torch in November of 1942. Uh, that was mostly uh, the Big Red One, is, is a unit that most people recognize. Another false alarm came out on Christmas Day of 1942, but this one was more serious due to the fact that a lot of equipment was crated up and ready for transport. In April of 1943, they had another permanent change of station to Fort Dix, New Jersey. On August 4th, 1943, the 4th Motorized Division, this is another one of those name changes, was reorganized as the 4th Infantry Division. 
And just a month later, the fourth was moved to Camp Gordon Johnston at Carabelle, Florida, on the shores of the Gulf of Mexico. Realistic amphibious assault training was done here in anticipation of invading Europe. Of course, the invasion would be D-Day, and that would be their first uh, experience in combat in Europe. Before we get there, uh, December of 1943, the division was alerted again for overseas movement. It was moved again to Fort Jackson, South Carolina for final personnel adjustments. Beginning of 1944, they're moved again to Camp Kilmer, New Jersey, a staging area of the New York port of embarkation. And so on the morning of January 18th, 1944, a final alert took and was legitimate. The fourth ID was put to sea. And Ivan Schwartz, in his transcript, he described this too. He was actually part of this convoy aboard the USS Franconia. January 29th, 1944, their convoy entered the port of Liverpool, England. And after they got off the ships, all the troops of the 4th ID could see what the enemy had done. The aftermath of the bombing of Britain was plain to see. So at this time, Britain was being bombed almost constantly. They were under constant attack from the Germans. This was a little bit of a shock to the U.S. to to just get off the boats, and then you see cities and towns destroyed in this manner. The 4th ID stayed in villages in Devonshire with a command post at Tiverton near Exeter. And one of those camps was Camp Honiton, and that's actually where Ivan was stationed. Before unloading was completed, the 4th ID was already visited by General Dwight D. Eisenhower and Air Marshal Sir Arthur Tedder. 4th ID went on to add the 70th and 746th Tank Battalions, the 65th Armored Field Artillery Battalion, the 1106th Engineer Group, the 377th Anti-Aircraft Artillery Battalion, the 87th Chemical Battalion Motorized, the 801st and 899th Tank Destroyer Battalions. Further training took place in anticipation of the coming assault, and the Slapton Sands along the South Devon coast were evacuated of civilians, and this would become the training grounds for the D-Day invasion. They actually created flooding in the area rear of the beach to resemble the water obstacle prepared by the Germans, who also had flooded the area in the rear of the Normandy beach. Landing practices took place here at the Slapton Sands, complete with naval fire support, and there were actually German air and e-boat, or patrol boat, opposition. It's very small. There were a couple of airplanes that came in, or small patrol boats, and there were actual casualties, and even a German pilot was taken prisoner. Each move to the ports for the practices were done under complete secrecy. At this point in the war, there were a lot of spies. Information was everything. So everything had to be kept under complete wraps. There were even deception tactics put into play to give off a false area on where the invasion would take place. You may have actually heard of this. They actually put General Patton uh, with a basically a fake army of inflated tanks, vehicles. They had, they were basically like cardboard cutouts of buildings and they were set up in a different area, kind of warding off or kind of fooling the Germans on where they were going to leave from and where they were going to invade. On the third week of May of 1944, there was a final move to port for practice, but this time everyone was kept in the marshalling areas surrounded by barbed wire and no one was allowed to leave or have any contact with civilians or other personnel outside. 
And then the briefing began for the future landings. U.S. forces were going to land on two French beaches, one under the 7th Corps and one under the 5th Corps. The assault division for the 7th Corps was going to be the 4th ID, while the assault for the 5th Corps was going to be on the shoulders of the 1st ID, reinforced by one regiment of the 29th ID. This would be on the left of the 7th Corps. Then a third beach would be assaulted by the British forces on the left of the 5th Corps. The 4th ID would be the first to land, assaulting the beach near Cherbourg. Models of the beach were studied closely. Gas-proof clothing was issued. Uh, vehicles and equipment were waterproofed. And on the first few days of June, the troops loaded up onto the ships. A massive fleet consisting of thousands of ships set out for the coast of France. On June 5, 1944, the assault was postponed in hopes that the high seas would subside. Ships overcrowded the ports awaiting the assault, and a day later, movement resumed. After midnight on June 6, 1944, it was finally time. Transport slowed to a crawl following minesweepers. At 0200 hours, or 2 in the morning, ships dropped anchor off the French coast. Heavy flak began to light up the skies over France as the airborne assault began. If you've seen Band of Brothers, that's, that's the airborne assault. Assault waves climbed down the landing nets into the LCVPs, or Landing Craft Vehicle Personnel also referred to as Higgins boats. If you've seen Saving Private Ryan, it's the, those are the Higgins boats, the ones with the big door on the front. An aerial bombardment took place until dawn when the naval bombardment took over. Each hour, 0630, or 6.30 in the morning, the 4th ID began landing at Utah Beach, which is two miles east of St. Martin de Verville and six miles from St. Mary Glise. Ivan Schwartz actually landed as part of the 6th wave, he witnessed the flotillas used by tanks fall victim to rough waters. Entire landing crafts with tanks and infantry went down, consumed by the rough waters. The 4th ID pushed in as fast as possible, and according to Ivan, as best as he can remember, only took about 30 minutes. Withstanding water mines, barbed wire, trenches, machine guns, 88mm artillery, 150mm, and 210mm guns. The Germans also flooded the area just behind the beach, up to a width of 2,000 yards. Surprisingly, few losses were sustained in the beginning, but began to climb as artillery continued to sweep the beaches. So at Utah Beach, which is where the 4th landed, it was relatively easygoing compared to where the 1st and 29th landed on Omaha Beach. The 1st Infantry Division, or Big Red 1, was completely decimated. The vital mission for the 4th ID was to contact the 82nd and 101st Airborne, which had dropped around St. Miraglis. Uh, interesting story I read in Ivan Schwartz's transcript was that the Airborne troops they encountered asked why Ivan and the men he was with were taken prisoners. There was no one around to tie them up and watch them. So you can fill in the blanks on what could have happened with these prisoners. Ivan recalled seeing many dead paratroopers stuck in trees all shot up. He choked up while remembering this specific image. They completed this mission, and succeeding troops reinforced them to flank to the north to eventually cut off the Cotentin Peninsula. The town of, again I'm probably butchering these French pronunciations, Amondeville and Auzeville, were strong points for the Germans who put up a harsh resistance there. The Germans also formed a defensive line along the towns of Montberg, Kineville, and Auzeville. This defensive line was pushed back and other allied units drove forward to slice across the Cherbourg Peninsula. This advance was so quick that one night they could hear Germans in a nearby city 
and then Americans in the same city the next night. Final push to the port of Cherbourg was needed. This was taken on by the 9th ID, 79th ID, and 4th ID. June 19th, 1944, the final drive to Cherbourg began. On June 25th, 1944, they had pushed all the way into the outskirts of Cherbourg and then entered the city at night from the east. Over 1,500 prisoners were captured that day. And Ivan Schwartz credits the U.S. Army 8th Air Force P-47s for his survival. They hit the larger German troop movements. This would be the first mission for the 4th ID in World War II. Recognition of its achievements came from Major General J. Lawton Collins, the 7th Corps commander, in a letter to Major General Raymond O'Barton. Quote, The 4th ID made the initial landing on Utah Beach, broke through the stiff German resistance there, and in conjunction with the 82nd and 101st Airborne Divisions, succeeded in establishing a firm beachhead, which was the basis for future operations. The establishment of a junction with the 82nd Airborne in the vicinity of St. Mary Glease was one of the critical factors in the success of our initial operations. Thereafter, the division successfully captured the town of Montebourg and the Queenville Ridge, outflanked Valogens from the east and continued its aggressive action to the north, culminating in the capture of the high ground east of Cherbourg itself in conjunction with the 79th Division. The division was in continuous action during the period of 6th to the 28th of June when the last resistance east of Cherbourg was eliminated. During this period, the 4th ID sustained over 5,450 casualties and had over 800 men killed in action. These relatively severe casualties are a mark of the stern resistance that had been overcome, and it is a tribute to the devotion of the men of the division that these losses in no way deterred their aggressive action. The division has been faithful to its honored dead. End quote. And this will mark the end of part one about the 4th Infantry Division. In the next part, we will cover the push through the hedgerows just west of Carrington as the 4th Infantry Division continues their European campaign. In the future for this podcast, I'm considering starting a visual aspect of this podcast. That visual aspect could contain things like the uniforms that the different units wear, the weaponry that the different units would use, things like that. So I hope you enjoyed part one of the 4th Infantry Division, and thank you for listening.